This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Um, I want to carry on. We talked last week about the gospel and the significance of the gospel and what that means for us, not just as somebody that first comes to Christ, but also for those that have already come to Christ and are living in Christ. Uh, We talked about the significance of that. And I want you to, if you can picture uh, for a second this morning, this idea or this concept of someone coming to the Christ for the first time is literally being a newborn baby. I know we can understand that in the natural, but oftentimes we don't see that in the spiritual, but that's literally what happens. But just before we get into that thought, I just want to kind of just restate again kind of our core statements for this series. Our blueprint literally is the unique design or plan to accomplish a specific task. And in context with our spiritual lives, it literally means God's unique design or plan to accomplish a specific task. I'm so grateful this morning that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And that it is beyond what we could ever imagine. I love Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans, right? He knows the plans that He has for us. It's good plans, plans to prosper us, to give us hope in a future. That's the heartbeat of God for us this morning. The key verse that we've been using and we're going to continue to use each week is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, and it's talking about an Old Testament concept, but the book of Hebrews gives it this one little phrase that just jumped out and jumps out for me um, as we jump into the series. It says, They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. Um, For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I've shown you here on this mountain. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern. God is a builder. God is a pattern builder. He loves patterns. He loves types and shadows. He loves all of those things. And the one thing that I keep landing on is if God has a way that He wants us to live, If we want to experience the fullness of what God has for us, then we've got to live His way. We've got to choose to live in a way that's going to honor Him. When we talked last week about the gospel, we talked about this concept of someone coming to Christ for the first time, what that means and what that represents. And the Bible refers to this concept in John chapter 3 as to be born again. Now, I don't know if you've been around for any length of time, and you'll know that sometimes when we hear born-again Christian, the first thought you have is some crazy person rolling down an aisle. Come on, can I get a witness? Some of you are already picturing the YouTube videos that you don't want anyone to see. Do you know what I'm talking about? All of those things that you don't want anyone to think of, anyone to process through, those are the thoughts that we have as soon as we hear this concept, born again Christian. But I have news for you this morning. It's actually a powerful thought. It is a powerful, powerful thought. John chapter 3, verse 3, it was Jesus replying to Nicodemus, who was a religious leader of the time. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, right away we go, okay, well then obviously God wants us to not only live out the kingdom of God and to see the kingdom of God, to experience the kingdom of God, which in essence is his rule and reign in our lives and through our lives. How many want that? But it says you have to first be born again. And I love the passion translation here. It actually says, says this cool little thing in the same verse. Verse 3, it says, Jesus answered, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. 
Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must first experience a rebirth. You know what the proof of this whole concept is? And I think all of us that are, have been, become a Christian in our lives would absolutely 100% agree with the statement I'm about to make. The moment you come to Christ, one of the first things that happens is your conscience is pricked and you start feeling things or are sensitive to things or are burdened by certain things or are convicted by certain things that you were never convicted of, burdened by in any other way prior to that moment. And suddenly you are. And suddenly you look at your own life and you go, uh, this isn't measuring up. This isn't what God would want for my life. This isn't God ruling and reigning through my life. And so something happens in our heart. Literally what happens is our spirit comes alive again. There's three realms of God, the Trinity. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And interestingly enough, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 actually proves that we are a triune being as well. We are made of three parts. We know we have a body, but we also have a soul, our mind, will, and our emotions. But we also have a spirit. We have something that lives forever, hence why eternity that we talked about last week is so important. And I hope that comment that I made last week from that book is sticking with you, that why is the message of the gospel so important? Because eternity lasts a long time. That's why it's so important. It's a huge, huge thing. And so Jesus wanted to get across to Nicodemus, this religious leader of the day, the significance of having an encounter with him. That would not just create a resolution day like January 1st becomes for so many people. I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to try to be better. I'm going to try to do the right things. And it's not going to be some motivation that's from earth, but something that awakens the very depths of who we are. He goes on and he explains it. Nicodemus first asks in verse 4, he says, what do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. What a great response to a very direct question. In other words, he didn't give a direct answer in the way that Nicodemus was looking for. How can an old man go back to his his mother's womb? It would have been easy just to say, well, that's not how it works. But his response was very simple yet very profound. He literally says someone has to be born of water. How many know the water of the womb? I'm sure everyone in this room has come from that moment at once in their point in their life. And if not, I want to hear your story. Because <laughs> it's got to be a New York Times bestseller by now. I'm telling you right now. That would be, I'm sure you're on Oprah's top ten list as far as stories. That would be the just divine conception and divine delivery of all time. Um, but it says you're to be born of the water and of the Spirit. The moment that you come to the cross and you make a decision to say, not my will, Jesus, but yours. The moment you come to the cross and say, I'm going to believe this incredible gospel message that literally declares it doesn't matter what I've done, that God's unconditional love has made a way for me to live for eternity with him. And I accept it, not because of what I can do to earn it, but simply because it's been given for us. The moment you accept it, the switch for your spirit is turned on. And now you look at what you do to your body. Now you look at what you do to your soul, your mind, your will, and emotions. And suddenly it doesn't add up anymore. Suddenly it changes from 
I'm just going to do my thing to God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to change? What do you want me to live out? So Jesus goes on and he says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear uh, the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. What a great response. The word and the work of the gospel is significant. It is absolutely significant. What didn't bother you before bothers you now. What you weren't convicted of before, you're convicted of now. It's the work of the Spirit of God. You know what's incredible about this process is that literally once that takes root, your mind, your will, and emotions now have to be subject to something other than yourself. How many of you have ever lived your life, and don't put up your hand, but how many have ever lived your life literally for yourself, and the only person you're listening to is yourself? you got nobody outside of that process in your life. There's no one speaking into your circumstance or speaking into your situation, but literally, you're just living for yourself, you're doing your thing, and you're seeing the same patterns reproduced in your life over and over and over again. Can I get an amen? How do I know? I was there once. I honestly don't recommend it. It's no fun. But when God comes in, he starts something and he creates something that's so significant. Uh, The Apostle Paul, who's one of the greatest uh, significant people in the New Testament, who wrote almost more than half the book, or half the New Testament itself, responded to the Corinthian church with this incredible thought in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who's made the decision to follow the gospel, to understand the message of the cross is a new person. Didn't stop there. The past is forgotten. How many would love that right now? And everything is new. It doesn't say some things. It doesn't say depending on the day, depending on the moment. It says every single thing is new. And here's where I want to jump into our theme today. Today's theme is family. Say family. Family's awesome. How many are blessed by your own family? Okay, some people hesitated. It says, would you ask me a different question, Pastor? You know, family is uh, an interesting dynamic because it's at the very heartbeat of God, yet it's the very thing that has caused in our world probably some of the most pain. Yet God's blessing and God's significance is found in the very thing that the enemies perverted. The very thing that the enemy tries to destroy should be proof that God was in it in the beginning. Because the enemy would not be concerned about families if it wasn't that significant. I mean, sometimes we just have to dumb it down just to that. So when you look at the world right now and you look at what's going on in people's lives and you look at the, the core news uh, casts and all the, the different headlines and all the, all the things that are being tweeted and on your news feeds and all the other things... The reality is, is you can start kind of taking all of those ideas and all those concepts, literally nailing it down to two or three or four thoughts, and then going back to the Bible and seeing that God was behind the creation of it. What's the enemy doing? Doing everything he can to destroy it. I'm sure we can understand what that's all about. But I want to go back for a second to this idea of being born again. The moment you come to Christ, it's literally like you're a little brand new little baby. But I want you to see a picture, and this is why it's significant this morning. 
We've gone through this five times. I should say Sandra's gone through this five times. I have been a cheerleader five times. Is that a good answer? Is that good? Thank you. Uh, okay, good. Incredible moment that I honestly, I can't even put into words. For those that have been through it, you know what I'm talking about. For those that haven't been through it yet, um, or may, who knows, may never go through it, it's, it's just a, it's a significant moment that has touched my life. And I think what stood out for me was, especially with our firstborn, Josiah, when, when you can possibly think of everything that could go wrong, everything went wrong. And one of the things that was so, in a sense, disappointing for me personally was I never got to hear the first cry because he was in distress and he couldn't cry. And it was literally not till hours later where I heard him cry for the first time. And it was almost like this delayed reaction of excitement. Like, oh, when am I going to hear my son? When, am, when is he actually going to be like a normal child you know, um, but here's what I've come to grips with. There's a significant moment when that baby's born, when that midwife, that nurse, that doctor, whoever's in charge of the care of mom and baby, takes that little life that has come out for the first time and is breathing on their own and, and is literally just in this state of wonderment. That medical community takes that little life, cradles them up, turns and goes right back to mom and dad. Gives that little baby to mom and dad. In other words, the moment that someone comes to Christ, the first and most important concept that God has got as a blueprint for his life and for your life is simply this. The moment you come to Christ, he places you in a family. It's called a local church. That's his heart. We can't ignore that. That's this very same heart for the medical community that, you know, you come into the world, little baby comes into the world, and the very first thing that's going to happen is that baby's going back to mom and dad, to the brothers and sisters from that family unit, and they take them home. It's the same thing for a new believer. Amen? They want to be placed into a family. There's an incredible verse in Psalm 68, verse 6. It says, for God sets the solitary in families. It's his heart. It's how he thinks. It's actually so much a part of his heart. That's why there's the Trinity, because they, they operate literally as a family, one to another, uh, benefiting and, 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 and just touching each other's life in such a significant way. You know what's interesting about a moment when a new baby, a physical new baby is born, is if that baby does not go into the parent's hands, and it's in the hospital's care, maybe it's in the government's care, or maybe it's just, you know, the medical community maybe takes that little baby and says, you know what, I just feel so, like, I just feel generous today, so I'm going to walk down to the third floor, and I'm just going to give it to the first person in room 321. We look at that and go, that's nuts. Well, of course it's nuts. But yeah, that's, in a lot of ways, how the Christian community responds to the local church. We just do this thing over here. But here's what you have to understand. God himself sets you up and places you into a family. This is the heart of God for your life. God's blueprint has not changed. His, his New Testament language actually proved this. I'm going to just go through five simple stages that's literally described perfectly in the New Testament of this whole idea. And I'm going to start with John 3.3. 3. Remember, it says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So step one, you are born into the kingdom. And what's interesting about kingdom is, is it literally means you've been taken from one world and you've been placed in another. Now, we know that we haven't left earth. 
but it's a different mindset shift that God wants to teach you and take you from. He wants to take you to a new place in God. Kingdom speaks about rule and authority. How many know that a kingdom, how many watch the royal wedding? We know the kingdom of the United Kingdom. Okay, every kingdom has rules, has laws, has boundaries, has people that are in charge of those rules and laws and boundaries, right? There's people that have, uh, literally, a kingdom is, is made for the people. It's provided with education, with healthcare, with all these different things. But it has a limit in its scope. It has a limit in its boundary system. The moment you come to Christ, it doesn't matter where you are, when you are, how you're living. It doesn't matter which place in the world you're living. The moment the kingdom of God takes over your life, now you start living out the values of the king and his kingdom. Everything changes. The second thing is this. You are added to the church. I love this verse. It says in Acts 2.41, it says, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church. Added to the church about 3,000 in all. And the Lord added, uh, verse 47, to the church daily those who were being saved. The word added literally means this. To put into, to be joined unto, to gather with a company of people. What's incredible here is it doesn't stop there. You're not just born into the kingdom. In other words, you don't have a life-changing experience. You're not just added to a church. But step three, you're set into the family. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, which is another word for the body of Christ, the church, the family of God, just as He pleased. And the word set literally means to be put in place, to establish, to fix in a certain place. God entrusts you with a family to take care of you and for you to be able to take care of them. It's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. That's what it was meant to be. There's an interesting verse uh, of 1 Corinthians 12, and it's, I'm going to read the Message Bible this morning because it's awesome. It just really captures an incredible heart of God here. It says, The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. That's what family's about. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every part is involved in the hurt. And in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters the exuberance. I love that. It's about being the family of God. How many know that um, there's, in our natural family, there's core issues that usually happen in families that can limit the effectiveness of a family unit? All right. They're the same for everyone. Some of them are a little worse for some families, and some of them are a little better for some families. But how many know that probably one of the number one areas that affects family time is selfishness? Well, I want what I want. I've got five children. I have never seen that happen in the last 14 years of having children. I've never seen it before in my life. Um, Thankfully, they get along well. But I'll tell you right now, selfishness affects family, right? Wanting my own needs met before I meet somebody else's needs affects family, There's something so beautiful about being selfless, about literally coming into a moment where we say, God, I just want your will. God, I want to help. I want to be a part of the solution for this family. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The fourth step is this. You are then placed into a house. Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22, it says this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. In other words, you're born into the kingdom. Now you're part of this group called Christians. 
You are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So I want to just highlight a couple of words that are being used here in the Greek. For those that have never heard of anything to do with the Bible, the, the Bible was written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Most of, well, the entire, for the most part, Old Testament was written in Hebrew, little parts in Aramaic. And in the Greek, or in the New Testament, it was mostly in Greek with some parts in Aramaic. And so you have to understand that there's a language behind that. And how many know that sometimes, how many know somebody does not speak English as their first language? Okay, how many know that when they try to translate certain things that they're saying, it doesn't translate well sometimes? Right? Right. So Sandra when she first uh, flew overseas in 2002 to see her father for the first time after he had his first heart attack, she meant to say, because she was already been, you know, as the Amish would say, you're an Englisher. Um, and she has been so kind of, con- kind of conformed in a sense to English thinking and speaking that when she got over there, she forgot some of her Swedish. And instead of saying, I'm so sad and brokenhearted that you've gone through this, she literally says in, in Swedish to him that your heart, my heart is broken for you. And he looked at her and went, actually, no, my heart's broken. That's why you came. <laughs> so there's two you know, completely different words. And how many know that the translation can be messed sometimes? So I, I want to say this morning, I wanted to use these two words because I want you to see the significance of what these two concepts literally mean. So to be fitted together, and to be built together. The first one literally means to render close, joint, uh, close jointed together, to organize compactly, to be fitly framed, joined together. That's what it means. The second word, which is translated built together, means to construct, to compose in company with other Christians. Think of a symphony. Okay? To build together. There's nothing more powerful than a symphony playing a whole bunch of different parts, but playing it in perfect unity and a perfect unison. Each part playing their part, forming and fitting a song beautifully. That is amazing. And that's God's heart for every local church, that we all find and fit into our place and help the family get to an incredibly better place than they've ever been before. We did this in the 201 class that started this past semester, and Sandra did this exercise where she literally stood up in front of the class, I think it was week one if I remember correctly, where she literally says, I want you to think of a puzzle piece for a second. I want you to think of a puzzle, and I want you to think of each significant little puzzle piece. And I want you to think about how significant that picture is in relation to the church. And so she literally asked everyone in the room, how could you describe that puzzle piece in relation to the grander puzzle and then tie in the themes or the thoughts into a picture of the church? And so some people started sharing. They started sharing that each part had a unique shape. How many know that each of us have a unique personality, a unique way of seeing things, a unique way we're wired, a unique way we're experienced, right? Some people started saying, well, there was only certain connection points that you had when you were one puzzle piece. There was only maybe three or four people that were really connected to you. Well, how many know that not everyone's supposed to be your best friend? That you're only going to have maybe three or four people, just like Jesus had Peter, James, and John of the 12, that are going to be really close in your life. But you're going to have other people that are close to you. You have a unique shape, a unique color, a unique pattern, 
Um, and there's so many different thoughts we can spin off with that with regards to a puzzle piece. But God's heart for you is that we as a church would be one heart and one soul with this idea of not only is it being about the gospel, but the moment the gospel affects someone's life, the first thing that should happen is we present them to a family, a local church. This is his blueprint. It's his heart. The fifth thing is this. You're cared for by spiritual parents, and I would even add in by brothers and sisters. Because how many know that both are important? I want to read to you just a description of the mandate uh, for shepherds in the, in the New Testament. Shepherds being pastors, leaders, uh, godly leaders, whoever that could be in your life. Acts 20, 28, it says, So guard yourself and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, His church, purchased with His own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. Another word for it in the English is as overseers. All right, The shep- word shepherd literally means to care for, to guard, to protect, to feed, to bring to health. How many are grateful that that new little life is not just thrown somewhere, but is literally taken home? Why? For the nurturing and the needs being taken care of of that little life. It's the same thing with the church. Same thing with the family of God. Look at God's desire um, when it comes to shepherding and sheep. It says this in Jeremiah 3.15. It says, then I will give you shepherds after my own heart. That's his heart. Who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. It was the exact same desire that Jesus had that he described in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. It says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It broke his heart that they didn't have a family to be a part of. They didn't have people, parents, brothers, sisters to care for them and to help them get to where they need to be. Peter, who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, made a bold declaration in one of his letters, his first letter, Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. We had a, a cool little experience last night. We were out playing tennis and at a park for a couple hours. Came home, had a barbecue, had a great time. And uh, when Sandra had gone to worship practice, Caleb and I were out in the backyard just kind of putting our baseball stuff back, and then he comes running out and says, Dad, you've got to see this, and so we go to our backyard, and there's a little, I don't even know what you call it, but a little home that bunnies have made, and there was eight little baby bunnies, like just brand new little bunnies, and you know what's the coolest thing is that Hannah and Caleb, Hannah came home later, but Hannah and Caleb went into mama and daddy mode. So, Hannah, what did we put out there? We put out carrots. And what did you put out this morning? She put out a bucket of, a, like, bucket of water for them to drink from. And we put some carrots in there. And we put some little straw that we had in our backyard in there. And the first thing they did when they woke up this morning is go back out and see if the bunnies were okay. Are the bunnies okay? And, and the bunnies were fine. And so then when we left, we said, well, we're going to put the top on a little bit more of this little area they've got because we don't want the raccoons coming. So they were looking out for these little lives. That's the heart of the church. That's the heart of God for the church. What is the family meant to provide for you? I've got a list up here. You guys can write things down. James, if you can leave this uh, thing up for a couple minutes, that would be awesome so people can, can uh, literally write this stuff down. But there's six key things 
that I want you to understand a family, a local church provides for you. Number one, spiritual fellowship. Relationship. That's the easiest way to describe it. Relationship. Those are those verses that are there. Yeah, take a picture of it. That's probably easier. Two, spiritual protection. It's to guard you and to protect you. Why did Caleb put that top on last night? Because he was afraid that raccoons would get them. So he was protecting those little bunnies, those little lives. Three, spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. How many are grateful that your kids in your home have grown up? How many need to call a special prayer meeting just for your children? Uh, we, okay, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Spiritual maturity. This is what it's all about. This is what the church is there for. Spiritual release. In other words, we want to empower people into the things that God's graced them with. We want to empower them into those things that God literally has shaped them with. So that could be a skill, a talent, a gift, a heart, a passion. Whatever it is, we want to be able to see that released. Five, spiritual accountability. How many were really fine with the first four until we got to number five? (laughs) I don't like that word. You know, someone told me years ago, and I hated this definition, but it's the true definition. They said accountability is your ability to follow someone else's account of your life. I don't like that word. If we're being honest this morning... We, we, we know how to say we should be accountable because it's the right thing to say. Do you know what I'm talking about? But we really don't mean it because we're like, inside we're like, I don't want to do that. I want to do my own thing. You know, I don't like that. Don't, no one can tell me what to do. I don't like that. But you have to understand in the concept of family, it's for your own good. Not because people are trying to frustrate you, but because people see something in you that sometimes we can't see ourselves. How many know we have blind spots? Okay. Here's the reason why it's called a blind spot. Because you don't see it. So allow people in the family to help you see it. And if they're truly family, they're going to love you into seeing it. If they're not family, they're just going to tear you down. But family learns how to build you up. Amen? Number six, spiritual direction. I'm so grateful that the decisions that have brought us to Kingston over 10 years ago were not our own decision to make. That we had a number of people that we respect, that we honor, most especially Pastor Frank from OCC, um, who believed in us, who loved us, and who basically said, well, duh, of course, the whole world knows this is what you're supposed to do. But we had such support, we had such incredible support behind us, not just in prayers, not just in, in actual advice, but in finances too. Many of you may not remember this, because I know some of you haven't you know, been around that long, but when we came here, OCC dropped a $30,000 check on us and said, Here's what, here, we're going to get you started. Get whatever you need to get. Get your sound equipment, get your signage, get whatever you've got to do. And if you need anything else, come back and talk to us. And it was awesome, because some of you have been around since day one, you remember, it looked good day one. It looked good. We, we made sure we came in and it looked good. It was it was. It was something that you would enjoy coming to, okay? And a great thanks for that is because there was a family down in Oshawa that believed in us and believed in the family that would be created here. But you have to understand, family's significant. How does God feel about the significance and the importance of family? Well, let's, uh, let's look at the very first book of the Bible, and I think it gives it all away. The creation story is just an incredible picture of the genius of God. A recurring phrase, interestingly enough, repeats itself in chapter 1, 
Um, and at the end of each day of creation, he says, it was good. God declaring something is good. And for the first time in history, God declares something not to be good. I don't know about you, but the moment God says something's not good, that gets my attention. Because it's significant in so many different ways. And here's what he said, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. He says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. It's not good that you should be isolated and live your life all to yourself. That at the very heartbeat and the very core of God himself, the very DNA of God himself, is this concept of community, of relationship, of family. We can't get away from it. It's at the very core of who he is. John Orderberg, a great uh, author, has written a ton of books. He, he said this, and I want you to track along on the screen behind me. He says, what is striking here is that the fall has not yet occurred. In other words, sin has not even entered the equation yet. There is no sin, no disobedience, nothing to mar the relationship between God and man. The human being is in a state of perfect intimacy with God. Each word he and God speak with each other is filled with closeness and joy, yet the word God uses to describe him is alone. And God says this aloneness is not good. Sometimes in church circles, when people feel lonely, we will tell them not to expect too much from human relationships, that there's inside every human being a God-shaped void that no other person can fill, and that is true. But apparently, according to the writer of Genesis, God creates inside a man a kind of human-shaped void that God himself will not fill. No substitute will fill this need in you for human relationship, not money, not achievement, not busyness, not books, not even God himself. And even though this man was in a state of sinless perfection, he was alone, and it wasn't good. You have to understand that at the core of God's being and at the core of God's heart is this concept for you to not be isolated, but to be plugged into a family that has the heart of God at its core for community. That is why the local church was started. It was in the very thoughts of Jesus while he was on earth. Genesis chapter 126 says that we're made in his image, according to his likeness, and within us is God's very DNA. How do we know that? How do we know that? Would you not agree that in our culture right now, we're probably as far away from God as we've been in a long time? All right, I think so. Feel free to disagree, but I think so. You know what has risen in the last five years um, in numbers that are exponential? I'm not talking about addition, but exponential. In the last five years in North America, depression. Think about this for a second. We are the most globally connected than we've ever been in our history and the most relationally disconnected that we've ever been in our history. When I grew up, we had something called a front porch. They don't make front porches really anymore. They make back decks. Why? So we can go hide in the backyard so no one sees us. Yet when I grew up, it was normal to say hi and to talk with people walking by. I'm so grateful we got a home that has a front porch. We're out there all summer long. We stop and chat. Of course, Abby usually stops and chats with most people that walk by, which is awesome. But you have to understand, our very culture and the very way we think is actually anti-relational. We don't think relationship. 
We don't think longevity. We don't think family. We think anything but. And what God wants to say to you this morning is that the very blueprint of his design is that every single individual that comes to Christ is placed, just like that newborn baby, into a family to be cared for, to be loved on, and to be a part of, a place where they can belong and become. That's the very heart of God. That family is called a local church. I'm going to be bold and say this this morning, and please don't throw things at me, but I've been around long enough to know this is what happens. Why are people running away from church? Let's be honest this morning. Can we be honest this morning? Are we okay to be honest? You're not going to throw things at me? Do you want to know why people are running from church in droves? Because they see the imperfections of humanity in the church. Can we be honest? We see the imperfections in people. We see things that we don't like. We see things we don't agree with. It's people. It's humanity. But you know what I've come to the conclusion of? You don't have ministry without a mess. If everything was perfect, you wouldn't need ministry. If you haven't been through a story, how in the world could you help someone else with their story? Sometimes we have this mindset, oh, well, you know, the pastor can kind of just talk to her. Pastor Ray, she's so smart. She can just, you know, handle all these situations. And you know what I constantly come back to is, why don't you share your story? You have just as significant of a story that we do. Here's my story. Are you ready for this one? At one moment, I was a bad little boy. And then I decided to come to the cross. I repented for my sins. I was a bad little boy. Shame on you, bad Cameron. I came to the cross and went, whoa, God, you're awesome. And then I've lived for God since that moment. That's it. I wish I could tell you some crazy, amazing, wonderful story. That's what did it. And you know what the stories that I tell the people are not the stories that someone else told me. I tell the stories of what God did in me in this process. Your story is significant. Every person's story is significant. Think about how a house is set up. There's different rooms in that house. And they each have a significant moment that is literally uh, created for that purpose. Here's first thing. Living rooms. Great idea. Great concept. What's significant about living rooms? You get to talk and share. You get to hear each other's heart. You get to find out what's gone on in your life. You get to share about dreams for the future. That's what's awesome. I'm going to share a little proud daddy moment today, but Josiah came last night to the, to the, uh, to the worship practice and sat through it and got to the end, and then most people had left. I think Jeff Regan had stayed around with you, honey. And um, Josiah jumped on that drum kit, and if you know Josiah, he plays two hours every single day. Every day he plays a drum kit for two hours every day without fail. But he is absolutely overwhelmed with fear to play in front of anybody. It's crazy. And we're like, Josiah, you're good, man. You can do it. You're awesome. No, Dad, I can't. No, I can't do it, Dad. And I go, Josiah, you can do it. And then, and then Sandra obviously gets in his grill, and then the rest is history. Sandra's like, do you know how many people are dying and going to hell because you are not playing the drums? People's eternity are at stake, my son. 
Okay, okay, mom, I guess I'll play. I'll try my best, mom. <laughs> and he played last night with Sandra and Jeff. And Sandra was blown away. Jeff was blown away by how good he played. And he came home like, He did. I played a little bit of drums last night. I went, that's awesome. I said, how'd you feel? Felt pretty good. I said, okay, because Daddy doesn't want to play drums no more. It's your turn. You go ahead. You do your thing. What did we want to get across to him last night? You have a place here, Josiah. There's a place in this family for you. There's a place where you can belong and become everything that God's designed for your life. This isn't a place for somebody else. This is a place for you. Every one of you that is in this room right now, there's a place for you here. There is a place for you here. It's God's heart for you this morning. I love God's heart regarding family and church. Jesus prayed a crazy prayer just before he passed from this world to the next. And before he went to the cross, he prayed this incredible prayer in John chapter 17, verse 21. And he literally said, my prayer is that we may be one as he is one. That his disciples would be one as he is one. And he ends off this prayer in verse 21 and he says, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Francis Schaeffer, an incredible uh, author, made this statement. He says, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community, therefore, is the final apologetic. For the first 22 years of my life, I was an orphan in church. And do you know what types of relationships I reproduced in my life? I reproduced orphans. 22 years of age, I had an experience with God that has forever changed my life. And it was from that moment on, I understood what it meant to be a son in God. For some of you, it's a daughter in God. But here's what I've realized. Orphans produce orphans. Sons and daughters produce sons and daughters. I want you to see this morning a picture of a church so filled with love for one another that it literally attracts people from all corners of the city, blown away by a ministry to their mess that they've never been able to have breakthrough on until they step foot into a family of God. And it doesn't limit it to impact. It's all the churches in this city that love Jesus. Our doors open for people who've got a mess in their life who simply need to experience the love of God, the gospel the overwhelming goodness and grace of an amazing God who's given his life for you. When I grew up, it's going to be hard to imagine, but I was an introvert, complete introvert, very shy. Uh, and then when I had my experience at 22 years of age, I kind of, I don't know what happened. You know, the best way I've described it to people is I had a spiritual lobotomy. And sometimes that just doesn't even explain it either, but hey, we'll, we'll go with it. But here's what I realized making that transition from being this person who kept to himself, 
kept isolated to making a decision to get involved in my own church family on a whole nother level. Here's what I realized. Casual connections are not, are not life-giving. Just isn't. Casual connections do not transform lives. They just don't. Now, are they good and can they be helpful every once in a while? Of course they can. Any relationship can be helpful. But it's not what's going to bring you to a place of complete fullness. I can, I, I'm, I can convince you of that easily. Just give me five minutes, I'll convince you of it. Randy Frazee said this, the development of meaningful relationships where every member carries a significant sense of belonging is central to what it means to be the church. This is a God-ordained gathering of people that is so strong that even the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's my heart this morning. I want to end with a verse. We've already read this verse, but I'm going to read it in a different version. I'm going to read it in the message version today, and then we're going to pray. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. (laughs) This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite home. If you can picture at the end of that verse, God literally putting out his welcome mat to you. I can honestly say this morning, we're not a perfect church. How do I know? Because I'm here. Come on, can we be real this morning? The moment we started the church, it was wrong and imperfect because I was there. Impact is not perfect, but I'll tell you what, within its core, it's family. I want to invite you on a journey to family. I want to invite you on a journey where your life story is going to make a difference in the person sitting next to you. I want you to come on a journey with us to believe that this house can be the most attractive thing in the world to somebody who doesn't know Christ. I want you to believe that this house has got an opportunity in front of it to touch areas of this city that no one else has the courage to touch. But we do. I want you to believe in a house that sees the seed of greatness in everyone, no matter where they've come from and no matter what their background is. I want you to see it this morning. I do. That's why I came. I was not blind or oblivious to the hardships of Kingston. I knew all about them before I came. I actually read the Whig Standard every day for two years before I came because I wanted to know what the city's all about, what was going on here. I was not blind to what the city and its, its struggles were. We're not blind to it. But we're filled with hope. Because Christ is our hope. But here's how he's designed it. He's designed a family to be so powerful, so full of the hope and the love and the peace and the joy of God, that the moment someone comes in touch with someone from that family, they just want to come into that house, be cared for, be loved on, be inspired to be everything God's called them to be. That's my heart and that's my hope for Impact Church. It hasn't changed and it hasn't wavered in 10 plus years. As a matter of fact, it's the strongest it's ever been. I have hope for this church like I've never had before. Not because I wavered or kind of gone through difficulty, but I tell you, I see 
a perspective of this house touching this city, touching this nation like never before. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 